Um, so, but they're all um, standalones. I don't write a series, although I have been urged many times to write series instead. Uh, but I'm very stubborn and also quite lazy, and I, I, I think if it was a series, I'd have to do more research. I, I feel as if I would. I don't know if that's true, but anyway. So, when the lights go out is my latest one, and um, but if you wanted to be a mother, you could start anyway. It's one of the things I like as a reader, that I don't have to look for the first one in the series, but um, that's all I have to say so far. How much do you want? Um, I write this book as Effie Birch, but I have a number of different pseudonyms protect, to protect the um, guilty people in my life. Um, I was police officer for 20 years, and I was first published in 2013 with Confessions of an Undercover Cop as Ash Cameron. So I've blown my cover now. Um, I've had a long journey in different publishing. Um, for a long time I wrote short stories because I didn't think I could do a novel, even though I really wanted to. I've written lots and lots of short stories for many years and I've self-published two collections of the, the stories that have been placed in competitions and have been previously published. So there is Effie Birch. I'm on social media as Effie Merrill, just to confuse everybody. And, and I was finally published earlier this year with She's Not There, which is a novel I pitched to Bloody Scotland when they very first did Pitch Perfect in 2012 and I won. And it took a long time um, for various different reasons. It's now been published with Red Dragon. I'm working on the second, um, which is Last Train Through Pet Lockery. This is set in a place that I may or may not have lived in, in the middle of Scotland. Um, and it's police procedural introducing DS Cat Dubois who worked in the Met, a bit similar to me, and then transferred back home, but unlike me, not to the North East, she moved back to Scotland. And it's a body that's found buried underneath a tree that had been cremated two years before, if you like that sort of thing. I'm also currently writing a new series, not anywhere near as dark as I normally write, and I'm really enthusiastic and really keen to write, I just love it, and isn't it great when it just writes itself? <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm Brian Price. I'm a scientist originally um, and turned to crime when I went to Crimefest in Bristol and found that crime writers were really very nice people and I wanted to do something to contribute. So I set up a website um, advising them on how to avoid making silly mistakes with science, like trying to knock people out with chloroform or inject them in the back of the neck while they sort of don't think they're around, um, or silence firearms. Um, that turned into a book, Crime Writing, How to Write for Science, and I advise quite a wide range of crime writers on various things like body disposal, dismemberment, poisons, knockouts, DNA, you know, anything scientific. Um, but that was from fiction, and I went in for a competition run by the Crime Fiction Coach Facebook group for a first best open line for a novel. Uh, and mine was the small grey-haired woman grimaced as she pulled a shopping trolley into the police station, came and contained her husband's head. And somebody said, well, I can't, uh, can't wait to read the rest of it, which I hadn't written. <laughs> I had no choice. Um, I did the usual thing of, of going around the agents um, at 30 odd, and eventually the, the lovely Hobart books picked me up and published the first book, which was Fatal Trade. Um, I'm now on my fourth novel, called Fatal Glow, came out this, this month, um, and that 
features the revenge attack by an Albanian organized crime group, which was taken down in the police, by the police in the previous book, the fatal dose of the bacterial poisoner, among other things, um, starts with an explosion at the police station, and that's the beginning of a campaign against the officers involved. And there's also uh, another plot going on where um, two police officers bought a house and found some bones in the garden. And it turns out the bones were from somebody last heard of in Australia seven years ago. So how did they get there? Um, and that's the uh, my sort of brief journey into what's our life. So there you are. So you were probably all here for the last one, so you know pretty much everybody. <laughs> so um, I'll just quote my book, which is I'm a short tattoo crime writer. I love rock music, I love cats, I drink totally massive tea and I like cartoons. Pretty much it. And uh, then people upset me, they go in the book. I'm sorry to say, but I'm not going to Um, so a nice, easy question to start you off with. Uh, what do you think sets apart great psychological thrillers from other genres in the crime fiction? Bella. Yes, I, um, when I first started uh, trying to get published, so the authors um, to agents, um, my first book, which is called Mindside, um, I sent it off to various agents, quite a few, um, and some of them came back and said nice things about it, but the main thing they said was um, it's not police procedural, and that's what you need to write. This was in, well, 2012, I suppose, that kind of time. Um, and so I looked at the book and I thought, well, I, I don't want to, to uh, write police procedural. I don't want to be, I don't want one character or group of characters to go through my whole, um, go through a series and always stick with those um, and because I like psychological thrills or psychological suspense that is what I like and I think um, what I like about them and so what I suppose sets them apart is that they are dealing with people who are intimately connected with the crime the murder or murders because I often have more than one um, so that everyone is connected. It, it, it's, so it's much more personal. You don't have a professional person um, who can stand slightly aside. I mean, I have got the odd police character, and one of my one of my the characters that has turned out to be most popular is actually a policewoman, a family liaison officer. Though I made her a family liaison officer because I again I wanted her to be. It close, in close with the family that were involved in the crime. And so I really want, I, I, I want them to have more emotion, I suppose, um, that the, the stakes to me are higher in a psychological um, thriller or crime book uh, for everyone involved. And also, everyone can be the killer or everyone can be involved. So you've got Red herrings galore, you don't really have to put red herrings in. Everyone's a red herring. Um, and that's what I like to read, uh, so that's what I like to write. And I think you have to stick with um, what, you, what you like. Um, I kind of have been urged, again, the idea of writing a series comes up again and again, and I have been urged to put my family liaison officer 
um, in a series, and I have thought about it, and I've thought about using others of my characters in a series. When, because when you write a book, I'm sure anyone who writes um, kind of falls in love with some of their characters and really wants to see uh, what happens next. But um, one of the, the special things to me about psychological crime fiction, where they're standalones, is that um, every book is different. And you can really, you know, you can do anything you like. You haven't got, oh, this police person has to be, or this private detective has to uh, move for some reason, has to go work in France, or has to move to, to a completely different part of the country. So you don't have to find excuses for that. You can set it where you want, although I tend to set them where, in places that I know. And I think that's another thing about um, psychological crime. They're very atmospheric, and where they're set is terribly, terribly important. And you're introducing readers to a to a place that you um, have created, but also reveals real places that they can sort of seep into and really feel they can get involved. Um, so that's why, that's why I continue to write them stubbornly, despite being told to write series. Well, I just said it because um, I, that is a case procedural, but over the I've written about 250 short stories, and the majority of them, well, in fact, there's only about four with police officers in. The short stories are very psychological based, and what I love about that is the psychology of a person. We are all ordinary people and capable of doing extraordinary things, and the motivations behind people and what makes them work. And somebody once said to me, every conversation is a manipulation. And when you look at it, it's a manipulation, it's an invitation, it invites you to debate, it invites you to comment, to have an opinion. And we all have different opinions and different perspectives. And ordinary people do do extraordinary things and haven't spent 20 years interviewing some very bad people and very ordinary people. And very often what I've found is if somebody does commit a murder, they're as shocked as anybody else, unless it's a, a serial killer in the planet. Most murders tend to be manslaughters that are not necessarily accidental, but that they were meant. But when they woke up that morning, they never intended to kill somebody. And it's all of that motivation, that psychology. And I love playing with characters and seeing where they're going, how they get from there to there, without any ever intention of it. And it's something we're all capable of. And that's scary. And I like to venture into that. If that answers the question. Funny, but can I just add something there to, to what you're saying? Um, because I was, I always say that my killers are accidental killers, even if they've killed more than one person. And if you've killed, I think, three or more, you're a, a, a serial killer. But even if they have, they, it, 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 it all snowballed. It wasn't planned. Yeah. Um, but I, I was at a, um, talking to some three I think it was three other um, writers at a conference once, and I said to them, do you ever think that you could be the, the, the baddie, you know, in, in... And they all looked, no! And I thought, yeah. I must be very bad, because I can imagine that there are circumstances where, you know, I, I could kill somebody. I think people are very capable of doing anything really, under the right circumstances. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think the more you deny it, probably the more likely you are to do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Don't deny it. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I, mean, I also am pleased to see that something you've written about psychological therapy. Uh, just to answer to your question, Doris, what makes a good psychological thriller is one that's credible, uh, where people behave not necessarily the way you would behave or me would behave, but in a way that you can envision somebody actually doing that. And the point about you know, anyone who can kill somebody is a circumstance, whether it's to escape from captivity, if they've been kidnapped, or if their children are harmed, then yes, the, you could kill somebody. Um, but if you had somebody doing something just so completely off the wall that no real person would do that, then I think the psychology fails and uh, you perhaps need not give another book by that author. But uh, that, that's the only point I think I can make on that. My, my, I, I do also have characters who aren't cardboard, they have their own feelings, their own character development. Um, but the main part of my book, I guess, is the plot and the detection and the action rather than, uh, rather say, self-reflection in the characters. Yeah, I mean, I, I could definitely save them and try to help my family and they would die behind them. As did so to the net. But yeah, we're all capable of that. And I think it's the what if, isn't it? You can, I mean, you might as well say, oh, well, what if something happened? Or just, you know, new crime brain goes into just overload. Because you, you automatically think bad things. Um, Linwood Park is really good at this. He calls it, he calls it every man books because it's just, it could be anyone you know, put in that situation. And I think he said with one of his books, they'd gone out somewhere and, and his, he, him and his wife had gone out and his daughter had come home and they weren't there. And and she wondered, she just oh, where have you been? You could, anything could have happened to you. He thought, what if we hadn't come home? And so you, you know, it, it's a good, it's a good thing. But, but yeah, good, good people can do bad things for the right reasons or not. I think someone who, who would do something just to just to see what happens, that's that's a different kind of question. Yeah, my my between the two of them are very different, but they're very much a case of you know, you're not quite sure where it's going or why. I mean, you know, I don't know. So it's only started out as a as a cozy PI series, it's now a woman comes over and finds this man in her kitchen, she has no idea who he is. Then he gives her a letter to say that she'll make her dad's funeral. And it says, if, if, I, if you're reading this, then I'm dead and there's a strange man in the kitchen making bread. And I have no idea what that was. So who is this guy? He's supposed to be this, this jokey sort of Delwood character. And he's not. He's kind of dark and mysterious. And I don't know. I like this. So that's where that, that one will definitely be. That's not a place for digital matter. That would be a, something that can be. <laughs> um, yeah, it's no secret. I don't think that I've literally written a book to kill off someone that I hated, so <laughs> it's just lots of fun. Um, <laughs> really, really fun. How do you keep up a high level of suspense throughout your books? What tools do you use? Well, um... I'm not really sure. It's very difficult to, to sort of pin down um, what I specifically do. I think um, you, you sort of um, take the Alfred Hitchcock um, idea, which is um, you, you, the, the reader knows sort of that something is threatening um, for a long time before it happens. It's not, not the, the happening thing, it's the threat of, of something happening. And 
my characters do tend to be under threat uh, a lot of the time they, they feel that they're under they're under threat um, I mean my, my latest one which I name check again since I haven't got the book there which is when the lights go out um, it starts with um, a, a car crash that um, it's very obvious pretty soon that it wasn't uh, accidental and this young woman who's, who's the main character she's joining um, an acting group in the depths of the countryside and she realizes that they the person who was driving the car realizes that this this was not an accident and that lots of nasty things have been happening to the people in this group and so she immediately has this fear that something other something different might start to happen and so you sort of uh, you, you set the seeds in that something frightening is going to happen um uh, I, I, now book I'm actually writing at the moment, there's the idea that a woman knows that somebody is following her. She's just an ordinary woman, but she has this creepy feeling that something is, is not right. So it's sort of building it up um, and keeping, um, again, atmosphere is very, very important. So the atmosphere adds to it, not in an, an obvious way, you know, um, it was making everything oh, it's always dark or it's always gloomy. Well, I do have a lot of storms and, and so in, in, in my books, but um, you can have something creepy on a very hot, sunny day on the beach, and yet it can be ominous. You don't have to have dark clouds coming. Uh, by, by sort of a hint that things are not right. Um, and for instance, um, in, in um, my most recently published book, um, I had um, people having just a normal conversation, and this uh, woman was explaining that she, she was a bit worried about the, the new house she bought. It felt a bit creepy, and, and she, there were some strange people not being very nice to her neighbours. And um, this woman who she thought was a great friend suddenly seems very, very interested. And when, um, when this, the, the main character looks at her, she, she sort of sees her face begin to change a little bit. Um, now, whether she's a baddie or not, I don't tell, and the woman can't be anything. But these little touches that you can't trust anyone and you can't trust any situation you're in, or they are in, um, just sort of building up that kind of thing. I think that, that's, that's the way I do it, anyway. Well, I think you have a lot of um, hurdles and brick walls. And as you're writing, one of the, um, the things that I was always taught, but I don't always do, I'm trying to get better at it, is when you finish a chapter, leave it on something, a question or something where somebody needs to read and, well, what's that, what's that? But I don't plan, you see, so I, I just do what like Anne said and a few other people said, I write in a sort of like jigsaw patchwork pattern and then I know what I want to write and then I put it right, same as they come to me or where I think I want to write them and then put it all together. And if I don't know what's happening, then the reader doesn't know. So if I have to question, then the reader would hopefully question. And I tend to get the answers either in the shower or when I'm asleep dreaming, because I dream a lot. And um, they're great te techniques for me, they're, they're, I like that. 
Um, but I think if you're coming up to a bit where you think, well, what's going to happen next? Put a problem in, give somebody a broken leg or put them in a coma or give them <laughs> those things that still, still the either investigation or what's happening um, and just create barriers and you just say, how on earth am I going to get out of this? And sometimes it's like being in quicksand and I've got to write it before I sink because otherwise there won't be a book. Um, so that's why that's it. Um, I suppose a bit like Jeffy, I, I don't plan, I don't have a spreadsheet with everything plotted down to a, a minute, minute detail. Um, I think I just like to have things happen, proper things happen, which is why I said earlier I didn't know, don't have a lot of characters, self-reflection and so on. Um, short chapters help keep the pace going. Um, I don't think mine are as short as some of James Patterson's or some of those I've got, but they are quite short. As Ethie said, then leaves them one can attribute the next one, something happening like a, a statement of, of an action, uh, an event, which makes people want to say, well, what happens next? I've got to read the next one. And another thing you can do to maintain a bit of suspense is to switch the point of view. So um, in this book, there's a police officer who's been uh, kidnapped and something horrible may be about to happen to him. Um, and he manages to sort of send off a text just at the last minute. And then I have to describe what's happened to him when you switch to the DC who's just coming out and deciding whether or not to answer his phone or go to the toilet. And he answers his phone and then gets snark response from the app. Um, so, but that switching the point of view, then you can go back to what has happened to the police officer in due course. So that's a quite mechanical trick, if you like, to, to switch the POV. Yeah, that's, that's really good advice. If, if you maybe sort of leave it hanging and then move to something else, because I've done this, I've come to dodge and become, I mean, I'll, I'll probably read a book at night because I get insomnia, so I'm sort of like at three in the morning. But if it's one of mine, I'm sort of like in the morning. So, so it's just very excellent. He leaves Easter eggs in his books as well. Everyone's got different Easter eggs, and they're fantastic. So you can find a fair max time. And, and you do normally put a, a, a county that you have in the or something, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, the last one was rock music or, or songs or something, but it was similar like that. Yeah, the music stuff. The music and the, 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 the What about the cereal poisoner? And the prize was a box of chocolates from a, a <laughs> chocolatier with such wonderful flavours of strychnine swore, swirl, <laughs> golden cream. Uh, like uh, <laughs> did you get those made up? I got the chocolates made up without Well, that. <laughs> so it's the parents of chocolates. Yeah, I like to, with this one, it's it's told on a split timeline. So to start with, I put all the, the stuff that's happening to the three, these three particular girls in first and then went to present day. I gave it to a friend and said, oh, I skipped all that stuff. I just want to see what was going on from the last book. So I thought, so I had to weave it in. And that was, that was quite difficult. But when you leave it, I mean, I. I like Chris said, I don't like to. It's the it's the leader. It's the it's the Hitchcock thing. What's going to happen? And then you just leave it at the door and let your imagination take over. I think that's that for me is more more scary. Mm. And quite often I think, what would I do if this was happening to me? How would it make me feel? And I think you know, if it's going to scare you, it's going to scare your readers. Yes, I just add, I like to have um, sort of cliffhangers and short chapters. Um, but um, I'm going to criticise another writer now, 
but I don't think um, I'm going to do any damage whatsoever. That is Dan Brown. I don't know who's read the Da Vinci Code. That one drove me insane by ending on a, a cliffhanger and then jumping to somebody else. And, then, and I just, I found I was just skipping the get back to the, what's happened, what happened, I want to know. So I think he, to me, that he took that too far. But obviously not to the millions and millions and millions of people that um, bought the book. But uh, I think, you know, you have to, uh, you're happy to read, you know, you uh, take care not to keep a kind of relying on tricks, no tricks, you know, with real suspense, not, not, not tricks. see a trick, it's not yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, i back up Anne as well. Brian's book is exceptional. Um, he does this very well. Um, I'm going to ask you a bit of a strange question now and ask you if there's anything that you want to talk about when you're ever on these panels that you never, ever get asked. If there's any question you'll never ask, you're like, why won't they ask me about this? So... Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, no, um, yes, well, I, I will say, I mean, this, is, um, this is called Kill Women, and I have been on another, a few panels that have something like that. And um, we, we tend not to get sort of specific questions of, you know, why are the women in your books um, killers, which not all of them are, of course, and not all my books, the baddies in all my books are not killers, um, uh, are not women, I mean, they're, they're all killers, although there are baddies who don't kill anyone as well, because there can be baddies who are so nasty that they make things happen, you know, those manipulative kind of people. And I, I, I've just been looking into my, the sort of people I have in my books and the, and the things that happen in my books. And, you know, I was saying earlier that I can imagine myself as a, a killer. I think, I obviously think I'm, subconsciously, I think I'm quite a bad person because I'm a, a mother and a full-time stepmother, Loneliness now, and I had an awful lot of nasty mothers and nasty adoptive mothers and nasty uh, stepmothers. And I think, well, I mean, I obviously, I mean, this is me. <laughs> I, my mother was fine. <laughs> what is it with me? Why? So it's quite interesting. I don't, I tend not to put people that, that are, I think Anne was saying about you know, getting people that you, you didn't like. Uh, in real life. I think I, I just don't want to know them and I sort of put people that I do quite like, I hope I quite like myself, but you know, there, there's characters that are very like me who then do quite bad things, not always, or not always killing people, but doing quite bad things. So that's why I, I suppose I put um, ambiguous women in my books, let's say, let's put it like that. It's really difficult because this is my very first new panel, so I'm open to any question about anything at any time. So I really can't say, and I suppose my future goal would be to have an agent and to have a good publisher and to be a name that people would like to read and to build that profile. What about why do you have so many names? Why do I have so many names? <laughs> That's what I've been wondering. Right, okay. Well, I left the police force in 2004. Um, this is a small group, isn't it? You're not going to tell anybody. Um, I left on a whistleblowing 
and I started writing at the same time because I'd always wanted to write and I'd loved writing from being little. The first thing I wanted to be was a writer. And I couldn't be a police officer and write under my name, especially with what was going on. And so I chose a different name. And Effie Merrill was a name that my husband gave me. And I loved the name Effie. And lots of people call me Effie, you know, in the writing world. And where does Effie Merrill come from? Well, it's ephemeral because we're all only here for a certain period of time. So that's the question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't, I don't normally go into a panel because I hope someone's going to ask me that. <laughs> I suppose what people could ask, and don't think have been asked, is how important you think scientific accuracy is, um, which is how I got into this, this business in the first place. Um, and Stephen King made a comment in his book on writing about the hordes of picky-ass leaders whose life's work is to tell you where you've messed up. Um, and there are people who do, do that. And I, I don't complain to authors if they've made a mistake. I like to wince or cringe or there's something I think someone there and just laugh. Um, because that's it's fantasy. I think in the police work, really, nowadays, while it's duty for different reasons. Um, but I do think it's important to get things right where you can get it right. It's just by looking up a, a website, phoning somebody out properly, an email, you can avoid a mistake, especially if it's one that the whole plot hinges on. You know, if, if it's key to a plot that somebody should have been chloroformed and remain unconscious for half an hour, it doesn't happen. Um, if that's the key part of the plot, then the whole thing falls apart because that's wrong. Um, many people may not worry, but those people warn me, and uh, that's why I started doing this advice stuff. Yes, people have realised that when I was someone said, Oh, I'm Asian, will you sign me? That would be nice. Can I make a film about your book? Yes, I'll say. I suppose the question all of us probably get asked is who would play your main characters if they're on the TV and stuff? I was asked a really interesting question in an interview that said, if someone made a film like you, who would play you? Well, that was a weird one. And I, 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 I suppose in real life, there's probably someone like Miriam Margulies, is that right? Miriam Margulies is little sister. Yeah. But, but that's because I've got to an age where I'm going to show you. And, uh, but I think, you know, Liv Tyler. Who Yeah, who are you, Brian? I'm just going to say that was Martin. Yeah, that's a good one. I suppose I could ask, but come on, Donna, tell us about your book. What's your book about? Turn this on his head. Donna is brilliant writer. She says she's not, but she is. She does all this. She does all these festivals off her own back for no payment. And I think she's amazing. So, yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, um, it's a. Uh, uh, thank you. Okay, so I decided um, to kill the guy that fired me seven years ago from my job that I'd worked at for 14 years. Um, he fired me unfairly, and it's kind of ruined my life ever since until lockdown. I was too hard, started doing this, and then it's changed my life again around. Um, but that wasn't really enough for a story, so I had to make a story around it. So I was like, oh, for God's sake. Um, 
I killed him first. That, that was fine. <laughs> uh, his first name is real, his second name is not, because I don't want to get sued. Um, so then um, the, the story is that he raped a girl at a party when they were at university. She falls pregnant and she gives the child up for adoption. Um, she then kills him um, and then it's an investigation into finding out who killed him is the short version. Yes, and it's on submission, which is awful. I don't like it. <laughs> thank you. Um, and thank you for that. Um, does anyone have any questions for these lovely people? What's the panel's thoughts on the books being made into like films and TV shows? Because uh, we personally tend to find they're not as good as the books, but they've had been, for example, like uh, Stephen King's Misery, fantastic book, fantastic film. And uh, for example, um, Pete, Pete James, like um, Dead Simple, I've, I've read that and they made it into the, the the show, and it's nowhere near as good as the book. So I was wondering what your thoughts are on that, and would you like the audience to be made into one? <laughs> what a question. <laughs> of course, you would. I defy any writer to say, what I've been told is, and I have never been approached, by the way, but lots of people say to me, you want to get your books made into a film, you know? I said, yeah, can you help me? I don't. Um, but what I was advised by somebody who sold um, and, and did have a film made was sell it and forget about it. You know, you, you can, unless you're somebody high powered, and it, obviously even Stephen King didn't do it. And, and I know he's objected to some of his um, films that have been made in his books. Um, you, you just let it go. Uh, because it is a different medium. I mean, personally, I think um, short stories are, are, are best made into films. Uh, a series is different. A television series is different. That can sustain a, a book length. But you, you, some of the best films, you know, um, like um, Don't Look Now, for instance, or um, some of the shorter Agatha Christie books, uh, they were, well, because they're, 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 from, they're fairly simple straightforward and short, whereas books tend to be um, a bit too much sometimes when they're, when they're filmed. The series not so bad, but um, I can't ever, going back to the, what we were saying before, I can't ever picture uh, an, an, an actor as any of my characters, because for me, I have a vision of what they look like. I, I, I'm not like that they're alive, although they're pretty real to me. But um, I can never imagine, you know, um, if you ask me who would play that character, I'm sure they could find someone who would do the job perfectly well, but it wouldn't be the character I had in mind. My, I don't have an actor uh, uh, picked out for my characters at all. I wouldn't want to start with the idea of them looking in, in like a an actor. But yeah, I think they sometimes are disappointing. Not always. I, I'm trying to think of what, well, I say Don't Look Now was, was uh, uh, brilliantly done. The, the story is brilliant. Uh, I read it, do read it. Um, but, um, and I thought that the, actually Daphne de Murray, the, the Rebecca, the old Rebecca one, the Joan Fontaine and, uh, and Laurence Olivier, it was pretty good. 
Um, not that the ending is wrong, but <laughs> that's the case. They, they softened the ending. It's much more interesting book than that. But yeah, it's, it's difficult to do. It's a different medium, and you. Uh, I always go to see if I go to see a film of a book I've loved. Uh, I have to have a different um, view on it. I'm just thinking of one that was good. Uh, Shutter Island. That was pretty good. Has anyone seen Shutter Island? Have read the book? Sorry, um, the book's brilliant, but I thought the film was pretty good as well. Um, I, I read the book first, so I knew the, the secret, uh, which I won't tell, obviously. Um, but that, 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 to me, that worked pretty well. So, yes, we don't sell out. <laughs> I, did, um, I did have a television producer contact me after Confessions of an Undercover Cop, which is a faction memoir. Obviously, names changed. I know the rest of it, um, but it's based on like, my biography, the police, or biography rather. Um, and he approached me, and we did have three meetings with Harper Collins to put it on TV. And he had this great idea that it was going to be on after the watershed, after Call the Midwife, so it would be nine o'clock, and it would have all these recurring characters, and it would be great. And it sounded fabulous. He went off, they told him to do a treatment, went back, had another meeting. And then they said, well, actually, um, Harp Collins is part of Sky, so if anybody's going to make it, we will. Thank you. We love your ideas, and we might keep it in the back burner. And that's that. So, you know, my and don't always translate very well, I don't think. But I would love mine to be. And if you ever see it on TV, well, that's me. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, if someone wants to do the film, I'd also be delighted. Um, you know, who wouldn't? Um, I think to some extent you have to trust the, the TV companies, the producers, because it is a different medium. Um, but that doesn't mean you can really take too many liberties with plot and characters and changing the endings is, I think, a no-no. Um, as to what I think has worked, I think I've just finished watching Slow Horses, and I think that's very well done. Um, and the character going portrayal of Jackson Lamb, sort of foul-mouthed alcoholic, smoking, fairly horrible boss, uh, is absolutely brilliant. Um, things which didn't work, uh, I wasn't too unhappy about Peter James' adaptations, although uh, the woman who plays Bella Moy has obviously never been anywhere near a box of Maltesers in her life, which you <laughs> understand if you've read the books. Um, but uh, yeah, the Peter Robinson books, because Stephen Tompkins is a fine actor, he would never Alan Banks. And I think uh, Peter Robinson felt pretty much the same about that. I tend to write mine as if I'm watching them on the TV in my head because it just makes me see where they're going and how they react. I've been told I forgive them too many cups of tea, but that's that's a Midlands thing, that's what we do. And then we do everything in the So apart from but most most of my characters, I mean there's two or three of the names like my husband's best friends. Um, and I'm sort of the only thing I've got to do is change the ages just to make them happy. The first shot that was was that Lincoln Arms whack because in my head it was white. He said, which I found really surprising. He said, but it worked, so I'm not going to argue. And he said, I was invited to lunch with that. Actually, enjoyed it. Turned it down in case you stuck with the bracket. 
Any more questions? Some uh, uh, great fans, Terry Pratchett, who quite a few criminalities are, 
um, that this just pushes the boundaries and so funny but also has a lot of important things to say in and amongst the humour as well. You said about Gary Oldman, the fact that he read McCarran's book and went to prison. You might be listening to a serious nominee. He said he has to play that character, so that was that's brilliant. I think that's what he's like as well. He's a massive figure going, oh, I want to do that. It didn't quite work when Tom Cruise was Jagger. <laughs> 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 I think uh, that Jagger volunteered to do this theme song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> um, my go-to has always been crime. I started reading um, in Blightons, and that's why I wanted to be a detective when I realised I wasn't going to be a writer until much later. And so in Blightons, I looked at Lynn and I got Christie, and crime is my go-to. When I read quite across the genre, um, lots of different types of things, lots of different authors, too many to name, because I've got so many crime writing friends, I wouldn't want to pinpoint anybody or leave anybody else. But I also love autobiographies because I just love people and what makes them tick, what the motivations are, and it's great fodder for characters. Yeah, I read um, widely. I think most writers do, not just um, crime. As I say, I, I like psychological suspense. Uh, I, I read lots of series. Um, I tend to sort of fade out a little bit. Um, after about 15 books. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of my cut-off point sometimes because I, I, um, I tend to want the, um, the main character to, to, to have a happy ending, to stop there. And, and uh, so uh, I think Ellie Griffiths has done that with her main character, Ruth Galloway. I think that was a, a good decision, but she may carry on, I don't know. But um, I quite like the idea of, of, of having an ending. The crime series, you don't. But I mean, I read sci-fi. I read um, historical fiction. I mean, I love historical crime fiction, like C.J. Sampson's um, wonderful book with his um, Matthew Chardonnay. Um, so yeah, I'll pick and mix with anything. Um, uh, literary fiction, definitely. Um, and sometimes you find that something that's described. As say literary fiction, you get into it. Oh, this is a crime book. This is very good. It's a crime book. It's, um, and there are some lovely series with animal protagonists. Um, <laughs> by the way, I haven't written one, but I do read one. Um, Alison O'Leary, um, that's her name, brilliant cat uh, character. So I can recommend that one. Um, but yeah, I think. Give it a go. Anything. It's, if it's well written enough, it's, it's, it floats my boat. The only thing I, I don't like is people sometimes describe my books as um, gory um, or very dark, but I, I don't like excessive violence. Yes, I kill people all over the place, and they can, can be killed in, in, in ways that are very upsetting to, you know, but I don't like. You know, eviscerated people, murder, you know, the horrid things. Um, if they happen, I don't want to, you know, hear the skin crack or anything. Else. <laughs> so I could write it if I wanted, but I don't want to. And I don't want to read it, and I will throw it away if, if, if it comes to. Um, <laughs> if it comes to me too, I'm sure I would enjoy it. It's worth it. I'm sure it is. Because you, you would like to be hard. Yeah. So they deserve it. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, uh, it's not for, that's something that's not for me. <coughs> um, 
and uh, I, don't, I don't read erotic either. I won't add anything again <laughs> to that, but uh, I tend not to. Not interested. Didn't, didn't go for Fifty Shades of Grey, though somebody bought me the book. And I just read through to, to get the, um, the emails, very details, what, what, he's got, what she's got to do for him, I think. I quickly read those and thought, not, not really my cup of tea, so um, anyway. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't have any more time, but again, the, the books are available. Um, Brian's fourth book, uh, the bookseller can get hold of, so um, ask him directly. Um, before we go to lunch, um, Lainey Russell from Wave Valley Radio is going to be hovering around and she's going to be trying to find victims to speak to her for her Wave Valley Radio show. So if anyone wants to talk to her, then um, she's at the back. She'll make herself known, she's waving. And can I say a big thank you to all of my panellists that stepped in at short notice and my panel in general. <laughs> oh yeah, can we just get a picture please? <laughs> You go around the front. Uh,
And then I've got one tomorrow on